0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. I'm Pastor Michael Branch. As we begin, we pray, Lord, sanctify us in truth. Your Word is truth. Um, Over the last several months, we've been talking about um, we've talked a lot about the otherness of God, His attributes, and what makes Him God. Not not just what He does, but actually what God is. He is omniscient. He is all-powerful. All of those attributes that we, truly, we need to study about once a year because you you start getting off on the attributes of God. You start get off course on the attributes of God. You begin to humanize God, and then you start thinking God thinks the way that we think, and that gets you off into error, okay? So um, basically... Uh, then we moved on to talking about Jesus, the Son, the preeminent one, the, the uncreated one, the firstborn of all creation, that he was the source of all things. We even looked into uh, passages in the Old Testament and found that when Jesus, uh, or that, that when the burning bush was speaking to uh, Moses, he, it said, I am, referred to himself as I am. And then we see that Jesus Christ himself, when he uh, was in the Garden of Gethsemane and they came to arrest him, he spoke the same words referencing back to the burning bush saying, I am, and they all fell down. He was, uh, he was uh, exhibiting his power saying to those soldiers, you're not taking me, I'm laying my life down. Like I could do anything I wanted right now, uh, but I am giving myself up willingly. And so he was constantly in everything he did, all of his miracles and and everything that he did, he was proving that he was God in man's flesh. And then we talked about the Holy Spirit and what it truly means to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's so much confusion out there today. Um, what I'd say is that there's, a, there's like a mix of spiritism, uh, or, or almost almost new ageism that's mixed with within the body of Christ today. And it becomes very, uh, very difficult to to try to um, separate truth from fiction. And the only way we can do that is the Bible. The only way we know how uh, to, to know for certain that it's, that it's the Holy Spirit speaking is that the Word of God will direct us and guide us and, and the Holy Spirit always points us to the Word of God. So the Bible actually um, makes it synonymous. Uh, walking in the power of the, the Holy Spirit, Paul says, is the same exact thing as letting the Word of Christ richly dwell in you. So if the Word is dwelling in you and you're walking by the power of the Word, then you will actually be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's what Scripture teaches us. So um, what I'd like to do today is start off, kind of wrap all of that up, and, and talk about all these different God the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and also bring into the conversation the Word of God and how all of this fits. And I believe if you guys will really pay attention to what I'm going to say today, this is something that I have honestly struggled with for years. Even, even as a pastor, trying to figure out, okay, Lord, how do you speak to us today? Like, is it the Bible, and then I'm supposed to hear this audible voice, right, every morning, or you know, telling me what clothes to wear? Because I hear all, I hear it all over the place. People saying, well, God told me to do this, and God told me to do that, and God even tells me where to go eat for breakfast, and God even tells me what to wear every day. And I hear all of this stuff, and I'm like, well, but God doesn't tell me that. Like, is there something wrong with me? Am I just not getting it? Am I Have I not jump through the proper hoops in order for him to say, I love you enough to tell you that you need to wear these shoes and not those shoes, right? I mean, my wife actually does a really good job of that, um, uh, correcting me in, in those areas. So uh, it might be a little redundant for the Holy Spirit to try to tell me to do that as well. Um, what, but basically, this is something I've struggled with for years is, is trying to figure out, okay, Lord, um, how do we hear your voice? How do we hear your voice? And because all of these things that people are saying, and they're basing it on their experiences and what they hear or what they feel. And so me personally, Michael Branch, I want to know what God has said to me. I want to walk in that truth. I do not want it to be ambiguous. I do not want it to be wishy-washy. I want to know what God said, and I want to walk in that truth. That's me. And I believe that's what God wants for every believer. And I believe that the answer is found in what we're going to cover today. So, first first turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, so He's pointing back to the Old Testament, God spoke through the fathers, the church fathers, like Abraham, and He spoke through the prophets. And He spoke in many portions and in many ways. So He spoke through the judges, and He spoke through the angels, and He spoke through burning bushes, and He spoke through all kinds of things, right? Uh, And He used various different forms in order to to speak the Word of God and to communicate with mankind. It says in verse 2, In these last days He has spoken to us in His Son. In His Son. So we have this statement in this scripture passage, in these last days, God has spoken to us in His Son. And and this is what happened. Basically, uh, Jesus spoke to the disciples when He was with them. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the accounts of everything that Christ said when He was with them, as they walked and talked and fished and ate and He would perform miracles and all those things, they experienced life Literally walking with Jesus and, and and talking with him every single day. And they wrote down their account of their time with Jesus. But it wasn't just men writing memoirs, right? Like we would write, like we would journal. This is not just them writing their like journaling about what happened, you know, a few days ago. They were walking with God in the flesh. And these guys were common men. They were. Fishermen and a hodgepodge of regular Joes, right? Tax collectors. And, but yet they were handpicked by Jesus Himself. And, and so because they were just normal, regular, everyday people, they couldn't boast that they were just really creative writers when they came up with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Like they just embellished this stuff. How do they embellish this stuff and all come up with their own stories, but yet it perfectly falls in line with one another as if it came out of the same mind? Oddly enough, It did. Um, they were just, as I said, fishermen, tax collectors, you know, um, and, and that's what makes their writings very, very special. And we have to understand the, uh, how to look at God's Word in order to know that we know that we know that it is the truth that God gave man. It is what we are to rely on. Turn to John 14, 25 through 26. I'm going to be doing a little bit of review here Uh, some things that we've talked about in the last few months, but I'm going to pull a few other observations out of the Scripture. So John 14, 25 through 26. And this is Jesus speaking here. And he says this, John 14, 25 through 26. These things I've spoken to you while remaining with you. So he's telling them, I've told you some things while I'm here. He says in verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, number one, it says He will teach you all things, meaning... He will teach them what Jesus would have taught them if Jesus had not died on the cross and went to be with the Father. He was The Holy Spirit was going to teach them everything that Jesus was going to teach them. And number two, He will remind you of everything I've already said to you. So all this time we've spent together, this last three and a half years, the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of all of those things, and then He's going to teach you things that I would have taught you if I were here with you still, Okay. So he's telling his disciples in this moment there's a big change coming. They had all these great expectations for Jesus hanging around with them and being around and overthrowing the Romans and doing all these cool things. But, of course, we know God had a different plan. Well, their, their hopes in this moment were kind of dashed. They were really sad to learn that Jesus kept talking about his death. He kept talking about leaving them, and he kept bringing up this person, This new person in the whole grand scheme of things, the Holy Spirit. Now turn to John 16, John sixteen, because he's going to add to what he just told us in John 14. So John 16, 7 through 11. John 16, 7 through 11. Jesus again, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I am leaving. For if I do not leave, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Look at verse 8. And he, when he comes, will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. And then he, he goes on to elaborate. He explains what he means by that in verse 9 regarding sin because they do not believe in me. So the, the Holy Spirit's going to convict them because I came and they didn't believe. Ten, and regarding righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. So Christ himself is the only human being that was ever born that was worthy to ascend from the earth to the Father because he had no sin. And that righteousness is what we must rely on in order to be with the Father. So that's what he's saying. So sin and righteousness, the fact that I'm going to be with the Father, and if they want to go to be with the Father, it has to be through me. And then uh, verse 11, and regarding judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now, this is important because he's saying here that when the Holy Spirit comes, the ministry of the Holy Spirit will be to convict the world of their sin, will be uh, to speak of Jesus' righteousness and and how He made the way to the Father. He will speak of judgment that is coming not only for, for us or for those who have rejected Christ, but He brings up the most powerful created being that God ever created, which is Satan himself. He said, the ruler of this world is going to be judged. And if he's not skating by, neither are they, neither are sinners. If he's the most powerful created being that I've ever created, that God the Father has ever created, or he created, because Christ created all things. But if he says, if he's the most powerful and he's not getting away with it, then nobody is getting away with it. Everybody will face judgment. Okay. so, kings, queens, princes, paupers, you fill in the blank. If you don't know Christ, if you haven't gone through the door, which is Jesus Christ, then you will face judgment, all right? And we learn in Scripture that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, and that includes involuntarily, that includes the devil. Right before the devil is cla- uh, cast into the eternal lake of fire, uh, he will bow down before the Lord Jesus. And that goes for every single human being that's ever existed that's rejected him. So remember, he just told him he's leaving. And in verse 12, look what he says in verse 12. He says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them at this present time. I have many things that I want to tell you guys right now, but you can't handle it. And he was absolutely right, because what happened in the garden when they came to arrest him? Where'd all his uh, faithful disciples go? They were like, pure like Speedy Gonzales. They just took off, right? And uh, they were just nowhere to be found, okay? And so he says, you can't bear the things that I have to tell you at this present time. I want to tell you more. But you can't handle it. And then verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, here we go again, he's going down this list. Number one, he will guide you, specifically the disciples. And that's important to understand here, okay? Because if you take everything Jesus is saying to the disciples for you, you're gonna have some messed up theology. So let's look at this. Verse 13, uh, when he comes, he will guide you, the disciples into all truth, and just follow me because I'm going somewhere with this, for he will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak to, and he will disclose to you what is to come. In other words, fellas, he's going to tell you the future. He's going to tell you about some things that are going to unfold down the road that you need to know about, okay? And then verses 14 and 15 are kind of hard to read. It's one of those verses that's, that's kind of, feels redundant or cyclical, but basically what Jesus is saying is that all the things that would come from me, the Holy Spirit's going to tell you, and all the things I told you come from the Father, and all the things that the Holy Spirit's going to tell you is going to come from the Father. And so basically, He's, he's telling them the, the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, anything that comes from any one of them is synonymous. There's not one of them that moves or speaks separately from the other. Okay, so the Holy Spirit will teach the disciples specifically the exact same words that Jesus would have taught them if he had stayed with them. Do you guys understand that? Give me an amen or shake your head or something or wake up, wake up. Just kidding. All right, so let's recap this real quick. Number one, Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance everything that he has already taught them. Uh, And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit did. They, in the Holy Spirit divinely inspired them. God breathed into these men, like John says in Revelation, I was in the Spirit. I don't know how it worked. I know it wasn't automatic writing. I know their personalities were, were within the text itself, but the Holy Spirit arrested them as we, as we see the, the wind filling the sails of a great ship and carried them along. That's what the Holy Spirit did with these men, and that's exactly what He did. We know these things He brought to remembrance everything that Jesus said to them in the time he was with them. And you and I know that as the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the account of part of Acts when he was with them in the book of Acts. So you understand that the Bible's being, Jesus is being very specific on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is going to give you God's word. He is going to inspire the written Word of God for you from here on out, okay? And it is synonymous, what the Holy Spirit says, is synonymous with what Jesus would say if, there, if Jesus was still here. But you have to understand that Jesus, if He were here, there's only one of Him. When He took on the flesh of man, He walked everywhere He went. He didn't get to be omnipresent at the same time. He limited Himself in that way. So the Holy Spirit is sent and indwells every believer and now the Holy Spirit points to what Jesus would say which is God's Word. So let's keep reading here. He said he would tell them everything that he would have told them if he had stayed regarding the birth of the church and how Christ's followers should represent him in the world, and we know that to be the epistles. So we have the Word of God. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts then the remainder of Acts, the, the historical account of the birth of the church, and then, of course, all the letters to the church. And I mentioned last week when we were talking about Laodicea, there are, there are 28 letters to the churches, seven of which were written by Jesus Himself. And another thing to note is when He says Jesus is dictating what to John what is to be written, and He says it's Jesus Himself that we read before when we read the Scripture, right, uh, at the very beginning today. That's the revelation of Christ to John, and then he begins to dictate to John what to write down. And after every letter, he says, uh, let them hear what the Spirit is saying. So again, he synonymizes, if that's even a word, he is, uh, he's, he's saying that what I am saying as Jesus and what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches is synonymous. Do you understand? It's the same exact thing. Okay. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit did when He gave us, through the divinely inspired Word, the epistles that were written to all the churches. And uh, we, we have that from Romans through Jude. And again, the seven letters in Revelation. And then Jesus told them that He would tell them what is to come. He would let them know what is ahead for the future of the world and the nation of Israel and the body of Christ. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit did. He inspired these men to write down the things that would happen in the last days. But we know John the Beloved wrote the main one, even though all of these writers, Peter and James, all of them touched on end times Things we know that the big enchilada is John, right? It's it's um, it's it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, and that's that's the main thing. And in Revelation, John describes the end of days, the final human and satanic rebellion against God, the end of Satan, as we learn when he's cast into the lake of fire. It talks about the the. Um, Evil being vanquished forever. What an incredible story. The new heaven and the new earth, a new body fit for this new uh, existence in the new heaven and new earth. And this this is so important that we understand that the main ministry of the Holy Spirit was to inspire the apostles in that time to write down the Word of God, the book that you're holding in your hands right now. If you want to communicate with God, if you want Him to speak to you, dig into that book right there. Dig into that Word. That is the Holy Spirit's book. The Holy Spirit wrote that book. Okay. If you want to know what the Holy Spirit's thinking, start there first. Master that and then tell me all the things God's telling you Uh, with the voices in your head. But once you master that, then you can tell me all that God's telling you otherwise, okay? So the final word of God was completed and then delivered to those who follow Christ. It was delivered to the saints, okay? And it's just incredibly special. It's incredibly special. Uh, When we were in Colorado, we had some really great conversations and one of the things that uh, Sierra brought up, she said that she's struggled with this as well over the years and she said, Um, yeah, it's really funny. She said one of the things that really got in my head a long time ago, I hope it's okay that I quote you. um, Someone said it's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, not the Father and the Son and the Holy Bible. As if somehow God's Word is separate from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that was a thorn in her side. That really got in her mind and made her think for a long time that churches are like worshiping the Bible instead of, instead of worshiping the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's a very, very clever thing to say, but also uh, illustrates how one thing a preacher or someone can say can really mess with you and send you down a rabbit hole, really just in a, in a false frame of mind. And, uh, and so, I'm not picking on you, Sierra. No, but it's it's a testimony in that she said, and then I started thinking about it, and and she said, I mean, everything we know about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, there's no other way to know anything about it except for the Bible. You have to read the Bible in order to know how to worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what I want you to understand is, there was this ministry in the Old Testament. There was a ministry in the time of the apostles. There was this ministry in this transitional period of the Acts. And then there was this ministry in the early church, in the letters to the churches, in the epistles. And those apply more, the epistles apply more to us today than any other... Not, don't, don't hear me incorrectly here. I'm not saying parts of the Bible don't matter. But what I'm saying is, theologically speaking... We are led and guided by what happens in the epistles today in our conduct, in the way we act, in the way we honor God, in what's written in the epistles than anything else in the Bible. Those other things are to prove who God is, the miracles, and all the things that happen in the book of Acts, those things prove to us. I don't have to see them today. I don't have to see cloven tongues of fire over your heads to be proven that God exists and that He's doing a new work. I know it because He recorded it in the divinely inspired Word, and I believe the divinely inspired Word. I don't have to see it anymore. I know it happened. I believe it happened. That's faith. And Jesus himself said that a wicked and perverse generation seeks for a sign. We don't need the signs, y'all. We have the Word of God. We have everything we need, as uh, in 2 Peter, he says, We have everything we need in the Word of God for life and godliness. And I'm chasing rabbits, and we're going to be here two hours if I don't keep going. All right, so turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm actually going to touch on that. 2 Peter chapter 1. He's talking about how if these things are happening in your walk, we, and I covered this about a year ago when we first started out. I preached through uh, this part of this book. Um, we're going to look at starting in verse 12. He's saying that you, you need to be certain that you're still walking in the faith. Okay? That you're still walking in the faith. You need to take stock every once in a while because we know Scripture teaches that if you are walking in the faith... If you're seeing these things take place, then you know you're actually a true believer. But um, I, believe it's, uh, I, I believe it's Peter, I could be wrong, who said if they had been of us, they would not have gone out from us. We know that there are those who are part of us for a period of time, and then they walk away from God and they walk away from the church. And that in and of itself is proof that they never were believers in the first place. You can't, as dad said in Colorado, um, he said, you can't have three week old everlasting life. It's either everlasting or it's not. It either lasts forever or it doesn't. And so if you walk away, you never had everlasting life in the first place. Again, uh, just trying to to give some context here. So we're going to look at verse 12, verses 16, and then verses 16 through 21. And he's writing, Peter's writing his his last letter before his execution. He knows he's about to die. And oddly enough, both Paul and Peter, right before they were about to die, pointed back to the Word of God. They pointed back to Scripture and said, this is what you have to hold on to. All right. In the same way Jesus did when he told them he was about to die and the Holy Spirit was going to come and give them the divinely inspired Word. He said, they will have a teacher, the Holy Spirit. Well, what Peter's going to say as he's writing his final letter, uh, he says, to those who have received the same faith as ours. So if you're a believer, if you've received uh, and believe in Christ Jesus, and He is your Lord and He is your Savior, then this applies to you. Okay? Verse 12, therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. So he's making a statement that you have, this truth has already been established. You've been taught these things for a while and now you have it present with you. You're holding these letters, okay? And it says, um, uh, again, it's talking about the Bible. Look at verse 16. He says, and I, and I preached on this too, but this is so important because of what the world is telling us and false religions are telling us. He's saying we did not make this up. These are not cleverly devised fairy tales. These are not creative imaginings. This is not from uh, our own brain, our own heart, or anything that we could muster in and of ourselves. Verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. I want you to understand what he's saying here. He's saying we had this experience in person. It was with Jesus. We, we saw Him come in power and glory. We got a, a glimpse of, of what he's going to look like in heaven, in eternity. We got a glimpse of that. And, and he's describing, when did they get a glimpse of that? Well, verse 17, he starts to describe it. When he received honor and glory from God the Father and a declaration as this was made to Jesus by the majestic glory. They didn't name God himself. They would often describe him as descriptive words. And so he, Peter here calls God the majestic glory. He says he said, It was declared, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Well, we know that happened a couple times, but specifically, when is he talking about? Here he's talking about the transfiguration. They got to see, Peter, James, and John got to see a glimpse of Christ in his returning glory, okay? And we learned all about this a while back. He says, We ourselves heard this declaration made from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. If you go back and read about the transfiguration, it just called it a mountain. Now it's the holy mountain because God was there, right? And anytime, look guys, anytime God has a a moment and things change, it sets you apart. That's why you can't have the, the, uh, the, the almighty God indwell you and there not be some sort of change in you 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 are separated, you are you are different, you are devastated, as, as the Bible says, "Woe is me, for I am ruined, as Isaiah says, that it, it I saw him in his glory, and I was changed forever. Well Peter's talking about this moment on the holy mountain when he saw Jesus illuminate, light up like a lightsaber from the inside out, and his face shine like the sun and his Clothes were shimmering bright white. And not only that, then all of a sudden, here's Moses and Elijah just chilling. They've been dead several hundred years. And they're just hanging with Jesus on the mountain. And, and they're talking about Christ's crucifixion that's about to happen, okay? And then to add to that, a voice from heaven. God the Father says, this is my beloved son. I'm not very good at, at God's voice. But saying, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. God put his stamp of approval on Jesus, put two witnesses there, one who represented the law, one who represented the prophets. Okay? He's saying, guys, he's the one. Listen to him. He is how I'm going to reveal my word and communicate to mankind. You need to understand how important God's word is. It's the Bible. Okay? He says, We heard this, and then look at what he says in verse 19. It's just. It's just incredible. Verse 19. But we have the prophetic word made more sure. We have the word of God that's even better than that crazy personal experience that I had on the mountain. Sometimes your personal experiences are the enemy. Sometimes the enemy comes as an angel of light. Sometimes the voices in your head are not God. I would... I would say, often. Uh, you, you need to understand that the only way that we know that we can have the, the, the honest understanding of what is actually true, it has to come from the Word of God. That has to be the source. And that's what Peter's saying here. We had this incredible experience on the mountaintop. And we saw Jesus transform. And we saw two dead prophets show up. And we heard the voice of God. But let me tell you something. You've got something even better. The prophetic word made more sure. You hold it in your hands. And for most believers today, it gathers dust on the shelf. And we never even crack it open. Or we would much rather read memes, right? I said a few weeks ago, man shall not live on memes alone. Like, I know you like your little Bible verse memes, but that's no... A substitute for digging into God's Word. Your worship music and, and worship radio is no substitute for God's Word. Your favorite YouTube preachers and the preachers that you watch on TV, no substitute for God's Word. There is no substitute for God's Word. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. I need y'all to understand that. Okay. He's saying that you have something, you hold it in your hands that while it may not be, I mean, what do we expect? What do we need? Do we need it when we wake up every morning, the Bible to like lift up off of our dresser and shine and float across the room and land in our lap? What do we need from God to get it across to us that this is what you need to hide in your heart, that you need to study it, that out of it flows life and all godliness and wisdom? You want to know what God's thinking? You want to see the world from God's perspective? Read God's word. That's what we need to do. And then he encourages us. Look in verse 19 again. He says, uh, and So he says, "...you have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention." As a lamp shining in a dark place, the Bible is a lamp shining in the darkness of this world. And it says, Hold on to the Word of God until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Hold to the Word of God until we see our blessed hope, until we see all things made new again. You want to hold to something that you know is true. People today are beside themselves wanting justice, they see things all around them that have gone wrong, and you know, politics, and child sex trafficking, and and marriages falling apart, and families falling apart, and criminals getting away with it, and politicians getting away with it, and it just eats us on the inside. We want to see something happen. We want to see someone be held accountable, and we don't get that promise this side of heaven. I'm sorry, we don't, we get it, we do get that promise, it is coming, he will bring to justice every wrong that's ever been done, and we can believe in that, that's our hope right now, is knowing that one day he will hold to account every sinner and every, every single wrong thing that's ever been done, to you, to me, everything, it will be brought to light, and He will judge it, and they will bow before Him. That's our hope, guys. Trust in that. You may not see it this side of heaven, all right? And that's, that's hard. That hurts, because I am really big in justice. If somebody does something wrong, I want them taken care of. And that's ask my wife. It's something that I have to give to the Lord on a regular basis, okay? But he says that in verse 20, Look, he, said, he continues giving us confidence in the Word of God. He says in verse 20, But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture becomes a matter of someone's own interpretation. Now let me explain that word interpretation to you real quick. It actually means released, like the source. Okay, So it's not saying you read a Bible verse and say, Oh, well, what this means to me is blah, blah, blah. Don't get me wrong, that's silly. Don't do that, okay? That's not what it's saying here, but don't do that. (laughs) All right, the Bible has one meaning. The Holy Spirit wrote it and it has a meaning. It's our job to interpret it correctly, to rightly divide it and find out what the Holy Spirit meant when he divinely inspired it, okay? But what this is talking about, he's saying, No prophecy of scripture was ever sourced from a human being. It's never come from a man. It's never been released. It's never been someone's creative writing. Okay? And he says, uh, and then he says, um, verse 21, again reiterating, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but by men moved by the Holy Spirit who spoke from God. He keeps reminding us that the Holy Spirit came to give those apostles the Word of God and 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 to write down the things that Jesus did, to write down the things that He was going to tell them and to write down the things that were to come in the future. And that is what we have in the Word of God. And that was the primary primary focus of the Holy Spirit in giving us the Word of God. Now, the Holy Spirit in our lives... Again, you want to let the Word of God richly dwell in you and you will be walking by the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit constantly brings Scripture to my remembrance. Constantly. I meditate on it all the time. And that's the point that we're supposed to get is when something happens in your life or in your walk or you have decisions to make, well, does it contradict Scripture in any way? Does it contradict Scripture in any way? The Holy Spirit will illuminate Scripture and show you if it doesn't contradict Scripture, then I'm free to do this to make this decision and the Bible says that if I do it in a way that honors him in the way I say, in the way I talk in the deeds that I do, that he will bless it, that he will bless it according to his will, not according to my will and that's also important to understand as well. So um, again, We just covered like Ephesians chapter 6. It says we're encouraged to put on the full armor of God and then it describes at the end and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we learned just a few weeks ago um, that in Hebrews chapter 4, it says the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The, The Holy Spirit gave us the Word and the Word of God is alive and active and sharper than any sword. And it will divide your thoughts from the way God thinks. Okay? If that's even a way to say that. It will divide the flesh from the Spirit of God. It will divide the lies from the truth. And that is the only way that we know for certain that we're walking in the truth is whether or not we're walking in the Word of God. Okay? Um, it says in... Um, Again, it says the penetrating is the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. And then verse 13, it says there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare. So we learn that it is the word of God on judgment day that will convict sinners. The fact that it lays bare, no one will have any excuse at all because the word of God, God has communicated to man and you either accept it or you reject it. Okay, and again, it acts like a sword. Um, we know that in Matthew, and I've I've said this often. When we truly understand the place of God's word in our lives, we also have to understand that it brings conflict in our relationships. Because if we choose to follow Christ, then when other people who choose to not follow Christ or not follow the word of God, or they have their own version of Christianity, which honestly is becoming more and more. Uh, prevalent these days is that they're just, there's just new versions of Christianity and it all gets thrown in the, the same pot, right? But biblical Christianity is the only true form of Christianity. He says, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace on earth. I came to bring the sword. And that's, that's it. He came to bring the truth of God's Word. I came to bring the sword. And it is that sword that will lay everything bare and leave no one with excuse, okay? So the church has a mission in the world today. But the thing that we must get right, first and foremost, is we have to understand the Word of God. We have to understand how to rightly divide it, okay? We have to understand how to look at the Old Testament and glean from it the truths in the Old Testament and how it can transform our lives, knowing how God spoke through the fathers and through the prophets and all of that. And then we see the account of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the beginning, the birth of the church in Acts and how God worked within that window of time and things happened in that window of time that have never happened again, okay? And it was because it was the birth of the church, it was the tada, grand opening of the the, uh, the new, what would be the, the body of Christ, okay? And the Holy Spirit, again, cloven tongues of fire, mighty, mighty rushing winds, all of that sort of stuff that took place in that time and in those days. And then we see God raises up Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And he writes down all of his epistles and gives us instruction on how we live our lives and our conduct and and, uh, how we treat other people and how we worship God. All of those things we find in the epistles. uh, Also James and Peter and all of those guys as well. We have all of that, a wealth, a treasure of God communicating to man exactly what we need in our life today to live in uh, godliness and to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Word of God, you guys. It's the Word of God. I know sometimes it feels like I'm beating a dead horse, but I'm going to keep beating that horse because I personally believe that Our culture and our society and even our church culture is getting further and further away from the truth of God's Word. They are are cutting themselves loose from God's Word. Just as recently, uh, about two years ago, a very famous preacher, a very well-known preacher said, it's time that the body of Christ unhitches from the Old Testament. Well, what does that mean? It means, let it loose. Y'all have seen the cowboy movies where they pull the pin out of the train and, they, just, you know, the rest of it. Well, that's what he's saying. It's time we pull the pin and leave the Old Testament behind. I'm sorry. Uh, that's not going to work for me. And that's not going to work for Jesus either because he very clearly told everything he said was from the Scriptures and they didn't have the New Testament at the time, which meant what? He was preaching and teaching from the Old Testament. So we will never, as the body of Christ, unhitch from the Old Testament. Um, guys, I could... Honestly, go on for another hour, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there. And uh, over the next few weeks, one of the reasons why I chose uh, we talked last week about the the letter to the church at Laodicea. Um, next week, I want to focus on I'm either going to focus on two churches or one church at a time. But I want to talk about the church of Smyrna and Philadelphia, which are the only two churches in the letters to the seven churches. That didn't get scolded, that actually wasn't threatened by Jesus. If you don't fix this, I'm going to come and personally destroy you. Okay? Um, so, you want New Testament Jesus, it's not all hugs and cuddles. Okay? Um, we're going to talk about some of that over the, the coming weeks before we get into the expository preaching. And we're going to start in the book of 1 Corinthians uh, when we start preaching expositorily. Um, okay, let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you were encouraged by the truth of God's Word. If you're in the Tulsa area and are looking for a local church family that teaches God's Word, then join us at 1030 every Sunday morning. Or you can join us live online on our Facebook page or YouTube channel. Until next time, brothers and sisters, as Paul instructed, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, Be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you.